And we're live. Hey, man. Good to see you again. Good to see Grace you. Davis. So now this time we're not fighting over who pushes the live button. No, I pushed it. But I am going to push the intro button. My right finger now. is on the... <laughs> Welcome to the Real Investing Show. This is Stephen Earp, and this is uh, the great Taylor Davis, my, uh, my co-host for the show. This is the show where we talk about all things real estate investing, and uh, sometimes just uh, the kind of real estate investing things that are just on our minds. Sometimes we deal with questions that you send in, and so we'd love to have your questions. Uh, send them in anytime. Whatever platform you're watching on, uh, go ahead and like, comment, share. Let us know who you are, where you're from, and also post your questions in the comments. Um, you could also reach out to myself or Taylor. Uh, Taylor, why don't you tell us a little bit about how people can contact you and what all kind of work that you actually do? Yeah, so uh, I mean, Taylor at bydavis.com is so that's b y d a v i s dot com um, is my email address. Uh, we, my wife and I own. Uh, by Davis Co. And we've, so we've got Home Sales by Davis, uh, Stays by Davis, which is our Airbnbs. And my wife's an interior designer. And so we've got this Designs by Davis. Uh, also, we're on Facebook, Instagram, all of the above. And uh, my handle is almost always uh, whatever the platform is forward slash the letter J, Taylor Davis. Steven, do you know my first name? Taylor is what I've always called you. I know well, I've always gone by it, like literally from the day I was born, but it's my middle name. Do you know really? my first name? I do not know your I may have heard it at some point. I'm but... sure you have. It's just surprising because a lot of people don't know it, but I mean Is I never James? Know you could pass for a James. It's it's Jacob. It's Jacob with a K. So sometimes okay. I like to say it's Jacob. Oh, it's, it's it like, like a Russian Jacob. Yes. Jacob yeah. with a K. So actually I have heard that it was Jacob. I just had forgotten. But yeah, I probably it's been a while. I never I mean I never go by it, but um, yeah, but I don't know your middle name. So, would you like to know? Please be Wyatt. Oh man, that would be awesomely weird. <laughs> um, so no, actually, uh, my middle name is Ray. Stephen Ray. Stephen Ray. Yeah, Stephen Ray. Yeah. So, and I'm junior. So there's another Stephen Ray out there that's about 22 years older than me. If so. only you went by Stevie. Please never say that again. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna edit that out of here. There's only, there's only one person that was ever allowed to call me Stevie, and it was my my paternal grandmother, and she is in heaven now. And so, uh, yeah, you don't you know you don't want to go with Stevie Ray. Back in the day, oh Stevie Ray, oh man, are were you a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan? Uh, I can't say that I was. I just know the name, and I mean, if it's Stephen Ray, it's Okay, true story. Here, just a minute. You you need to get on YouTube and block out 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes, and just search for Stevie Ray Vaughn, Austin City Limits, and then just watch it. It's got to be in the evening when you're chill and you're doing whatever you do to chill. Relax and, um, and watch it. Oh, oh my gosh. It'll so change I have a life. buddy of mine. I, so I posted this a while back and I said hot take. And th my viewers are probably going to scream at me, but uh, hot take that Prince was an overrated singer, specific, not performer, but singer. I just don't like his voice. 
And so I posted this and one of my really good friends, uh, his name is Brian Eddins and he is the biggest Prince fan. He's a huge Prince fan. So the next time we hung out, uh, we we're at his house. He made, we, we had had a couple of drinks and he made me watch, uh, this live performance that I can't remember. It was for the rock and roll hall of fame. That's what it was. That one Prince my did. guitar with my guitar gently weeping. Oh my yes. gosh! It yes. was, and I, I was like, okay, this is this is really freaking good. The guitar uh, solo, yeah. yes. And like, the story behind it is because he was, uh, he who was he playing with? He's playing with uh, another iconic band. I can't even remember who it is off the top of my yeah, head. Multiple heroes, yeah. And and uh, I guess he wouldn't. He didn't come to practice, and they were really concerned. And he's like, don't worry about me. Like we'll be yeah. all right. I, I, I'll be able to do it. And he, so he shows up, he had practiced on his own, but he didn't want anybody to hear yeah. his performance. And it was, it was incredible. It may, it did give me a, a, a greater appreciation. I, I still not a biggest fan of his voice, but it gave me a, a huge appreciation for Prince. So shout out to Brian for that. Yeah, let me see. Who is it? He's playing with Tom Petty, Steve Winwood, Jeff. Yes. Lane. Tom Petty is who you're thinking of probably, but yes. Um, yeah. So that will change your life. I don't know what that has to do with Stevie Ray though. Uh, just, we, we got down a, we got you're down thinking a about, you're thinking about people older than you that <laughs> were musicians. No, it were. was, just, it, well, you were talking about going and watching the YouTube video and that's what I did. That's what he made me do. He pulled up. A, oh yeah. I had a 30 minute lecture on why <laughs> Prince is amazing. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, we may have uh, spent more time on this than we intended. Um, okay. Normally, our intros are not this long, but you you get to know that what we're really into. So, uh, and yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan is really incredible. So, so in we're our, going on to part two. Yep. And why don't you do? You, maybe you can recap our previous episode. Yeah, so we've had some listeners uh, reach out, had some questions. We had one in particular that had a specific scenario where they inherited a, a property and it's they're they're buying it from the estate or have bought it from the estate and are turning this into their first rental and had a lot of great questions. And these are questions that a lot of people have about their first rental. In fact, I would say a lot of these questions actually hold people back from buying their first rental. And that's what we want to address here. Um, so we talked about a couple of tools to uh, to find and uh, tenants now, uh, and then we talked about just some some basics on on your first rental. And we're going to continue that conversation today. And we're going to jump into screening tenants. What 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 does insurance look like? We we covered maintenance in the last episode. Yeah. Um, and so now we're going to jump into some of these more specific questions and we've got a handful of specific questions. So here's the deal. If you have questions, if you, ha let me rephrase that. If you have things that are holding you back from getting involved in real estate, usually what that is, is an unanswered question. So whatever that is, that's holding you back, put it in a question form and then let us talk or say, Hey, this thing is holding me back. Tell me why yeah. it shouldn't. And then yeah. let us talk about it because other people yeah. just like you feel the same way. Yep, yeah, I agree. Um, so let's jump in without further ado. Uh, this question, um, the question, this is specifically directed at me. And he asked, do you have any preferred templates or applications or rental applications or lease documents that are templates? So let me rephrase the question. Um, uh, what is the best way to get a good rental application 
what is the best way to get a good lease agreement, depending on where people are in the country and specifically where we are here in Oklahoma? Yeah, so I'm going to answer first because all of my rentals are in Oklahoma where I get my lease. I'll go with the leases first. Okay. So the Oklahoma Real Estate Commission has their own leases, and they're actually really good leases that cover everything that you really need cover without it going too crazy. Um, it does give some flexibility for um, deposits, and and I mean you can. It's all a templated form. And it's really hard to go wrong with that if you follow it and fill it out completely. Where um, do you get that? So you go uh, Google Oklahoma Real Estate Commission, but it's I think it's OklahomaRealEstateCommission.gov or something like that. Yeah. Uh, just Google Oklahoma Real Estate Commission, and then they have a drop-down box. They have forms, and they mm-hmm. have some for sales, and they have some for leases. And in the drop-down box for leases, and the, and they have addendums that will cover you. So they'll have a lead based paint form addendum. If it was a house that was built before 1976, Um, they'll have addendums for pets, addendums for uh, other things that you can have in there. Cause there's a lot of different things, key re key addendums and things like that, uh, that they, that you can add to that. So you can make it as simple or as complicated as you need based off your specific needs. And so I really like that lease. Uh, and almost every state out there, and, and to my knowledge, I mean, there may be some that don't, but most states out there are going to have forms like that, that the state provides that are in accordance with state law. I would yeah. look for those and then, and then go from there. Okay. Um, as far as applications go, what, what about you? Have you, you've used leases where, what have you used? Yeah. So here, here's what I would say. Like, I've always gotten my leases from other local investors, always. And I just use them as a template and change what I didn't like. So you can go wherever you are, go to your local RIA, ask a couple of landlords, hey, what do you use for a lease? Do you mind sending me a copy? Uh, and they can maybe direct you to some things. So um, so that's that's what I've done. I've just gotten them from other investors. And you know, One of the things that I really like about this industry is... Mm-hmm with very, very few exceptions, every, no one feels like you're in direct competition with them. Right. Like a lot of people share this kind of information. So if you start to network with other investors, because, because a lot of the times they want to provide value to you because you may have a deal that you pass on to them or vice right. versa. So there's right. kind of, this, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great industry. It's not too, it's not as dog eat dog as you might think it is. A lot of people really do look out and help each other. Yeah. So that's how I've gotten them. So what about, um, so we've talked about where to get leases. What about uh, rental applications? Good question. So uh, I talked earlier about apartments.com. They Mm -hmm. have a rental application that you can go through. Mm -hmm. There are other companies that you can go through that will, that will do a back. So one of my favorite things to do now is these third party companies. And I honestly, Steven, I don't have them on the top of my head what they are. But if you Google them, you can find them. And there are companies that will do background checks. Mm -hmm. And so you can do an application and you never touch the money because there's a lot of scams out there. There, And there's, there have been unscrupulous uh, investors in the past that will put something up, underprice it, but then charge like a hundred dollar application fee and just collect all of these application fees. It's really wrong. And there's, there's also scams that people will, take a listing that's online and take the pictures and create it and generate money through that. It's, it's sad and it's taken it away from, from renters. So I don't like to touch money because I don't want people to think 
I'm doing that. So there right. are third party websites that will charge that in order for them to fill out an application, the tenant has to pay the, you know, 35, $45, whatever it is. And it does a background check and it'll do a criminal and a, um, Oh, like a civil background check to see if they've had eviction. So it'll check for evictions and it'll check criminals. And here, the one that I've used, and I, gosh, I cannot remember the name. It checks all the surrounding states. So it checks five states for background uh, criminal investigation. And then it checks for eviction history. Okay. So, and you, and so then they pay them directly. It's a third party. The money never touches my hand and I can't be, uh, you know, accused of anything. Yeah. Interesting. So that is, I mean, I just did a Google background checks for rentals. Um, there's rentready.com. I don't know if that rings a bell. MySmartMove.com, TurboTenant.com, MyRental.com. It might be MyRental.com. That sounds really familiar. Okay. MySmartMove.com. I don't know. I would just check them all out, but those are, uh, so you can actually use those yeah. to, uh, to receive your applications. Yeah. So like, okay, I'm pulling up my rental. This looks really familiar. I think this is what it used. So it's a credit report and score eviction history and address history, multi-state criminal, multi-state sex offender. And a, yep, this is the one I've used the, their safe rent score. So they kind of come up with a, a score that they'll base this tenant's likelihood of being a good tenant or a bad tenant. So which which website is that that you're using? MyRental.com is the one I've used in the past. MyRental.com? Yep. And you can set it up to where the people who are doing – so there's no cost to you. You just get the applicant applications when they're, when they're done, and then you send potential applicants to that website. Mm -hmm. They pay that website directly. Cool. All right. Uh, let's go on to the next question is – let's see. I just closed my document here. Um he was asking, can you tell me about any local lenders that specialize in investment properties and single family home rentals? And here's kind of my response instead, because what I think what really needs to be known is more of a general idea and jump in and help me, Taylor, if I'm missing some nuance to this. But if you're looking at um, conventional loans as your preferred method for funding at least your first 10 deals, you can get 10 single family rental properties or uh, 10 duplexes or 10 triplexes or 10 quads. Uh, and you can get conventional uh, loans on them. Conventional meaning that it's backed by the government in some way. That's the easiest. Uh, it's the best way to get um, the lowest interest rate. And so for your first 10 rentals, getting a conventional loan, if possible, would be the best. After that, you get into the arena of probably looking at local banks, talking to local banks, talking to local credit unions um, and, and things like that. And um, the other thing that I mentioned, and just for a little bit of background from this person who's asking these questions, he purchased a property out of an estate that belonged to his grandfather. And so he sent us these questions because he purchased it because he wanted to get involved in real estate investing. And this was a comfortable, comfortable way for him to do that. And so my suggestion was that if it's possible, it's better to buy the property with either cash 
or some sort of creative financing and then refinance it into a, you know, a long-term conventional funding if possible after he does whatever repairs he needs. Um, and that keeps it cleaner. It's, it's cheaper on your money, but that's not always possible to do that. Um, it's just, you're going to have more money in closing costs if you end up having to get a conventional loan and then later refinance it into a conventional loan. And so, so that's sort of my suggestion. So if you're looking at how do you finance uh, rental properties, if you're dealing with fourplexes or below, try to get conventional loans on your first 10 deals. And after that, go to local banks, go to local credit unions and, uh, and see what you can do there. Um, anything to add to that, Taylor, or any nuance or corrections? Uh, yeah. So well, I just want to give a little bit of clarity. So the, the biggest benefit to those first 10 loans and, the, and they won't let you do more than 10. So that's why you're, you're saying 10. And, and in my experience, the first four are fairly easy to get a, uh, approved for. And then loans five through 10 become mm -hmm. a little bit more. Uh, uh, you have a higher threshold to, to get approved. But the yeah. benefit to those are there are third or there are 15 or 30 year fixed rate mortgage. So hmm. if you go to a local bank and you're borrowing money, that's really, that's considered a commercial loan right? It, or a portfolio loan. You'll hear it either way. And, and usually the way those are structured is they're structured with a, uh, they may be amortized over 15 to 20 years. So your payment looks the same as if it was a 15 to 20 year note, but they're only going to be a fixed rate for three to five years. Um, and then after that three years or that five years, whichever you go with, uh, the rates are going to adjust based off whatever the prime rate is. And we know right now that we're in a place where a lot of people are expecting interest rates to continue to climb. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I personally have a handful that are, uh, I've got one property that's going to come up in the next two and a half years. And I'm already kind of looking at it going, okay, like, at what point is this break even? What do, do I need to make sure that I can, do I need to try to restructure this further out? Like that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, so the benefit with a fixed rate is you know what that payment's going to be for the entirety right. of the loan. Right. So, um, and, and related to, so based on that, if you're, you're trying to get conventional loans on your first 10 deals and based on that, you can work with just about any mortgage broker. However, my recommendation would be when possible, find a mortgage broker that actually owns property. And I, I recommend the same thing when it comes to finding a real estate agent. If you're an yeah. investor and you want to buy rental property, deal with the real estate agent that actually buys rental property, not that sells rental property, but that buys it for themselves. They're going to understand, they're going to speak your language and, and they're going to understand the needs. So if possible, find a, find a broker mortgage lender that, um, that, that invests in property himself or herself. Um, and, and in your area, you can, I mean, of course get referrals, but you can, uh, maybe find them at the local RIA as well, real estate investors association. Now I, I will say it's easier to find real estate agents that also are investors than it is to find mortgage brokers that also are investors. At least that's what I've seen. Have you experienced that Taylor? I would agree with that. I, I've had a hard time finding brokers that invest in real estate themselves. And so in that case, you're just going to have to educate them over time on why you're doing it and what you're doing and things like that. And it's way easier to refinance the property into a conventional loan after you already own it. It's just way easier. And so if it's possible for you to, um, to, you know, to pay cash for the deal, 
fix it up and then refinance it into a long-term conventional loan, I find that to be much, much easier. Let me go into that real quick because mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't going to have that ability, right? Like, oh yeah, right. that's great if I have cash, but if I don't have cash, what do I do? Well, right. the downside to these 30-year fixed rates is they have a, a uh, requirement for the condition of the property. So if you're buying a fixer-upper, it's not going to qualify for this conventional loan. You're going to have to do something different. So what you can do is most local banks have this type of product. It's a rehab loan. So you can go in and buy a property. They will look at it. They'll appraise it on what it's going to be worth when you're done doing whatever you're going to do to it. Mm -hmm. You give them the list of the things you're going to do and the cost that that's going to be, and you can get mm -hmm. that from a contractor. And then they and then what you're buying it for, and they'll lend based off of the whole amount. So they can actually give you some money for the actual rehab. And so you're mm -hmm. putting money down as if you're borrowing in a traditional sense, but you're getting money for the rehab to be able to fix it up. Then when you're done with the rehab, then you can go, like you're saying, and go refinance this into a 30-year conventional mortgage or a 15-year mm -hmm. conventional mortgage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. One other thing I mentioned, like possible creative ways to do it. I don't want to open up a can of, you know, opportunities or whatever, but we've a couple of other things that I've done on deals. We have a deal right now where we uh, we got a good price on the deal, but um, we're helping the guy pay off some bills and some other things like that that he needed in his uh, um, in, in, in addition to the, the sale of his house. And what we did is we we took over his house payments subject to the existing mortgage. He went ahead and deeded it over to us. We are temporarily paying on his mortgage until we get the rehab done. And so we're almost done with the rehab. We will spend about $40,000 on the rehab. And then at the end of that, we will refinance that. And then it'll end up with a conventional loan. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about with trying to find a creative way to do it. Um, you can get, if you can get the seller to do an owner finance temporarily, which if the house is a real mess, a lot of times they'll do that. A lot of times if you say, Hey, can you, you know, can, can you, uh, owner finance this deal for me for the first, uh, four months, I need four months to get it fixed and ready. And then I will, uh, and you know, and then I will get my own loan on it or something like that. That can happen too. And, uh, and a lot of the times actually interesting enough, estates will oftentimes be willing to do that because they're, they're they're not necessarily needing the money or a lot of the times they don't need the money and mm -hmm. they're kind of expecting this kind of longer payout anyhow because you, uh, it, it, going through probate mm -hmm. can be a, a, an ordeal so yeah. if you, i've had a couple of times where you know with an estate and i i usually offer a couple of different ways hey here's my as is cash price or right. i give you a better price if i if you carry payments for me for six months like you're saying uh, and, and so a lot of the times they're like, yeah, we'll take a better price and six months from now you can do it. And they'll, they'll carry that for you. And then, then you go and refinance it. Like you said, so yeah. that's a good word. Anything else on lending? I think that covered the basics. Okay. Um, so we go more. into subject two. I think we can do a whole episode on subject two one day. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that one sometime. Um, so, uh, okay. Next question. Let's talk about insurance. Um, what, how do I need to, the question came in? This Don't is my first, <laughs> I'm just kidding. this is my first worst rental. Ever. How do I handle, how do I, this is my first rental. How do I handle insurance? And here's my suggestion on insurance. Um, when we're talking about insurance, we're really talking about risk management. 
And the first thing I suggest is get set up with an LLC. You do not have to have an attorney to do that. Um, you, you know, in our state, you can set it up on your own. It costs just over a hundred dollars. You fill out like two forms and you're done. All the, all of the forms in our state are online and it only costs like a hundred bucks or so. So my recommendation, number one, get an LLC. Number two is get the, the the least expensive, highest deductible insurance that you can get on a rental on a tenant occupied home. Um, we anecdotally or we we connotatively call these a fire policy right, <laughs> like right. that it'll just, you know, but it does not cost nearly as much as it does on your home that you live in. So get now what's what it's not going to cover. Here's what it's not going to cover. Some things you need to know when you put um, insurance on a rental property. <clears throat> Number one thing you need to know is it will not cover the contents of that property. Because this, the, you are insuring your interest in the property, which is the structure itself. The contents belong to the tenant. They need to get renter's insurance to cover their contents. So if that house burns to the ground, your insurance will not cover their stuff at all. Um, at least in our state, that's the way that works. So get get as high a deductible as you can. Uh, low, you know, the low payment, as low of a payment as you can on your on your insurance. And the next thing I would say is um, I recommend if you have at least two or three or four rentals or if you have a net worth of at least probably a million dollars, um, a net worth in anything, which lots of people do, I recommend you get an umbrella, um, an umbrella liability. liability policy and that will cover all of them. Now, and that's and you can get a million dollars or five million dollars for golly, maybe a couple hundred bucks a year, three hundred bucks a year, two hundred bucks a year, something like that. And it and covers. Get, and then when you get sued because somebody hurt themselves on your property, mm -hmm. that the their their attorneys are paying for it. Right, right. The thing about it is with you, the increased liability, and and some some insurance companies that that um, that that insure a lot of rentals will offer you specific liability that will cover as an umbrella. Um, and others will just offer you an umbrella of general liability. Either way, here's the benefit of having insurance. The benefit of having insurance is not that the insurance company is going to pay the claim, but the benefit of having insurance is when someone gets hurt on your property and they have to get an attorney involved, the insurance company will defend you and your interests without you even being involved. And I mean, that is a huge thing. Here's what happens when you insure a property and you have liability on a property. If somebody slips on the ice on the porch, breaks his or her leg or worse, the insurance company, their financial interest is also your financial interest. And they are the experts at protecting your interests. And so um, and so and I've had that happen a number of times where I have a claim of some kind. The insurance company, they hire the attorneys and they take care of all of it. And so that's that's my recommendation on on insurance. But um, what what do you anything to add to that, Taylor? Yeah, a couple of things to know uh, that I would share with this is there's there's two types of insurance agents. There are captive insurance agents and there are independent insurance agents. Um, captive insurance agents are going to be insurance agents that work for a specific company, i.e., the State Farm or Allstate um, or Farmers, they work directly for those companies and only give insurance quotes from those companies. 
Yeah. Uh, then you have independent agents, which can give um, give you uh, shop different rates. Right. In my experience, independent agents have been able to to give me a cheaper product than captive agents. So I tend to like independent agents, uh, and that's that's who I use. The other thing that I would tweak to that is you can get there's there's two types there's well there's two basic types of coverage there's actual cash value coverage and there's replacement cost coverage mm-hmm. actual cash value is if something is destroyed 